Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And this is another episode in the Rainbow Dissection. Today, we're going to talk about history, which is not, you know, ancient history. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna try and keep it as relevant as possible. Well, do you want me to go back to the ancient Greeks? Or? <laughs> we could, I guess. <laughs> Don't know how much of it, how, I guess it is kind of relevant from a, from a gay history thing, but you, how about we start with where this topic came from? Okay, so this topic came from a number of places. So one of them was, we've recently watched Love, Simon. And Love, Simon being set in a point in gay history that was sort of past our time almost. Like, so it was a high, it was set in a high school after when we would have been in high school. Um, And then we also watched Boys in the Band, which is set before we were born. (laughs) Mm. So... I kind of started thinking about our place in the hi- the ongoing history, like both our personal history and the history that predates us and what effect other people's fights have had on the rights that we have. Yeah, so one of the things that Love, Simon kind of made us think about was what we would do if we were living in a Love, Simon world. So for those who haven't watched Love, Simon before, uh, it's about the coming out of a teenage boy in a small town in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Sorry, that's not true either. It's actually in a suburb in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's his experience of coming out and the response of the people around him. And for the most part, it's quite positive. There's a little bit of contention, a little bit of conflict, but none of it's really about him being gay. It's more about the fallout from the announcement. So the effect on his friend who was in love with him and how his actions to try and hide his secret affected his other friends. And it was never really about prejudice. It was more just about... Well, there there was sort of one point about prejudice, which was actual homophobic bullying... Um, which led to a character who had led to Simon, like basically outed Simon, making the comment, I didn't realise people like that still existed, which I thought was an interesting comment to include. Mm. That if you're not in the world of being discriminated against, sometimes you don't know that things are still hard in certain ways mm. and that people will still be mistreated. Yeah, so when I came out, I had a particularly disastrous coming out when I was about 18 years old. And I grew up the son of, you know, two Catholic heterosexual parents. And not to go into too much detail, but there's a lot of drama and a lot of fainting and a lot of, you know, can't you wait till you're 25? And it, it, luckily, luckily, I wasn't living at home at the time. I had already moved out, was living with friends, and I could kind of run away from the situation. But... I certainly felt that it was my obligation to try and reconcile and to try and make things better. Because in a way, I felt like I was one who would cause the drama. Which isn't fair, because, you know, it was just me announcing my, you know, true self to the people who I thought cared about me enough to, you know, accept me that way. Things have gotten a lot better since then. You know, I I don't want to ignore the amount of progress and growth that my parents have made. Uh, over the years but certainly at the time coming out in sort of the 2000s which doesn't feel like that long ago but that was 20 years ago you know uh it was it was pretty traumatic and pretty jarring and you know it was a lot of time spent pretending it wasn't the way it was and just giving my parents the space to accept it whereas love simon was a much more idyllic presentation he still had the awkwardness and still felt 
uh, tense about the doing of it, but his parents were still ultimately very positive and very supportive and if anything were more inwardly guilty because they felt like they should have known better or should have understood him better or they were guilty about not making him feel supported which is i don't know maybe it's more like that now than it was when we were growing up maybe it's a bit more you know uh vaseline on the camera kind of idealism i don't know but it just it felt like a very different experience to what i had so when you say you're coming out you define that as when you came out to your parents or when you came out to the world? When I came out to my parents, because I came out to the world after that. Like, my parents were the first to know, and then gradually I took each of my friends aside individually rather than making some sort of group announcement. I'm not 100% sure why I thought that was the way to go. Uh, And I kind of subtly announced to each of them that, that I was gay. See, I think I see my coming out as different because my parents weren't the first ones I told. Sorry, mum and dad, if you're listening. (laughs) But I think I, yeah, I told, I talked to my friends about how I was feeling before I told my parents. Um, So I think my coming out, like in, in the movie, he does come out to one person, then he gets outed. Yeah, but he he kind of comes out to his sister and his parents at that point so i'm more like that whereas you kind of started with you know announcing to the world whereas i was more like i told some people what was going on for me with me but i wasn't out to everyone Mm. but when i sort of because i came sort of out to my parents when we were together because i came i kind of came out by saying i am dating a guy so at that point i was you know dating you for all the world to see. Mm. So that so it depends on how you define your coming out. If it's the first time you tell, you know, a close friend one-on-one that you're not exactly straight, or whether it's where you put it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think when I was thinking about would things be different with Love, Simon, I think I was thinking more of the former one, where it'd be kind of like I would have ha- started having conversations with people, not so much started dating a guy and announcing to the world. Like, I would probably would have started having conversations. And there's a point in Love, Simon, where the out-gay character before Simon says, why didn't you talk to me? Mm. Um, and I feel like if I was in my school, I, f- I feel like I probably wouldn't have been the first person to come out. Uh, so when someone else came out, I probably would have had private conversations with them about how I was feeling. Mm. Um, And that's what I kind of... I guess I missed... Because I didn't know any other... I didn't even know gay adults. Like, like when I think about... Say, if at some point one of the kids' friends is wondering about sexuality. And they might not feel comfortable talking to their parents. They might feel comfortable talking to us. Yeah. Like, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't really know any gay people... So I feel like even the people, like even people I'm sort of in the life of, I guess at least know a gay person <laughs> they could talk to. So I, f- I feel like that is in itself a difference between me being in high school in the 90s, right? I now, looking back, knew gay people, but none of us were out. So none of us told each other. <laughs> yeah. And see, the thing about Love, Simon, so the, the way you described it in the intro, I, th- I thought was really oddly technical because it's it's set in you know the modern era like it's set now Mm. and i think even with love simon i 
I kind of had a, a reaction where I'm like, would this still happen now? Are there still people in the world who feel awkward about coming out? And the way I kind of pictured it was it's more like pockets. So certain areas that are highly religious or where the community is still fairly ill-informed or whatever, I figured, okay, there. I, I get why coming out there would be an uncommon thing. But this was the suburbs of a major city in a major American state. I just... I kind of thought, why would this still be an issue? But I'm not necessarily in touch with the youth of today. I don't know whether they're still facing this kind of stigma or this fear, because I know that with this amount of representation, and we've talked about gay representation in media and stuff, with the, the awareness of it being so great, you know, pride parades and on television and in movies now, I mean, yes, it's been a slow progress and yes, it's not widespread, but it's certainly more so than we ever had growing up. I just kind of figure, how is this still happening? How are we not okay? Because it seems to me that the older generation is the problem. The older generation are the ones who are still trying to exert the concept of heteronormativeness on people. But the younger generation, I feel like they know better. So why... So that Love, Simon, to me, felt a little bit like it tried to create a drama that no longer exists. See, I think that the drama still does exist because the fact is that, yeah, the younger generation might not care. Um, but if your parents care or your grandparents care, that's a big thing, like... When you're a teenager. And one of the things Love, Simon did, which I thought was really interesting and almost made me cry, was the storyline with the dad, which, as you talked about, was more about the dad's shame. Because mm. the dad, like, in the first half of the movie, would make jokes. Like, casual homophobic Casual homophobic jokes. jokes. Um, and Simon was taking that all in. He was hearing all of that. And the dad didn't know that that, that was what... Simon was taking in. And I think we talked about that in the representation. That you don't know that your kid is gay. You don't... Like, they know before you do. And they're taking in positive representation. Or they're taking in homo casual homophobic jokes. They're taking it all in. Um, and you can't just choose to stop being homophobic when your kid realises they're gay and haven't, hasn't told you yet. Um, so I think it relates back to... I think we spoke about a friend's wedding where during one of the toasts. So this was last year, I think. Really? I thought it was before then. But Maybe the year before. Admittedly, 2020 has passed me by. Every year passes me by, the older yeah. I get. So I, I it wasn't this year. I, I'd say it's probably last year. So the father of the bride made a homophobic joke during the speech. We didn't care as adults who are kind of, you know... Secure in secure ourselves. In ourselves. Yeah. But there was teenage boys who heard that speech. Mm. His grandchildren heard that speech. And I'm not saying his grandchildren are gay, but... Who knows? Who knows? Mm. Like, it wasn't really going to harm us, but it could have harmed them if they were questioning their sexuality. Mm. So I think Love, Simon, probably, like, the book definitely would have been out before that wedding. And the movie was probably out at that time as well. So I think that it was a realistic representation of what's happening at the moment, which is not you know, chasing gay people off cliffs or, you know, lighting a building on fire. But it is the casual jokes. Yeah. 
And I think that that leads into The Boys in the Band. So, for those who don't know, The Boys in the Band is a movie remake which itself was based on a play from the 1960s. Uh, currently on Netflix, it's directed by Ryan Murphy and has a an all-gay male cast, so openly gay Hollywood actors, um, all playing gay characters. And um, it's about a uh, sort of a birthday party where they get together and they they basically talk about the issues that they face being in the closet and about relationship issues, basically sort of living as a gay person in the 60s. And one of the things that was highlighted there was the importance of community. So in one of the earlier podcasts, we talked about the idea of, you know, building friendships on the basis that two people are gay and whether that's enough to build a friendship. But the boys in the band kind of reveal to us that back when homosexuality was still, you know, I, I can't remember, I think it might have been a crime, or at the very least it was prejudiced against. Um, it, if it wasn't a crime, it was probably still a mental illness. Yeah. It was really important to have your community. It was really important to have people that you could feel free around, and you could feel like um, you could just be yourself around. And that's where it became really evident that for us, uh, or me particularly as a gay man, having only one true gay friend, I don't need that as much because I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people who are accepting and loving and who don't really see my sexuality as a distinguishing feature. I'm still just a person who is gay as opposed to the gay friend or the gay guy. And it's not a luxury that people in the generation above us or any of the generations above us necessarily had. Unless we're going to ancient Greece. Unless we're going to ancient (laughs) Greece, yes. Um, I think that for me, the most powerful scene in Boys in the Band was when the door was open and a couple walked past. And they all had to pretend to be straight for their own safety. Yeah. Like, even in his own home, he couldn't act gay if the door was open. Because mm. he was sort of in danger. Like, that's not something that I've had to deal with. Like, I don't have to worry, oh, is the front door open when I'm acting too gay? Like, I know I know that there was a point where you were a bit paranoid about, I guess... I don't know. You used to say you were a mob would come. I'm yeah. not sure if that was an exaggeration. It was a slight exaggeration, but it wasn't completely out of reality. So I was so when we moved into our little suburban home, I had no idea what kind of neighborhood we were moving into. We I'd bought the house years beforehand and it was like it was just a nice house in the suburbs, you know? And when we moved in together, I I kind of I worried about what the neighbors would say. I worried that someone would graffiti our house, mm. you know. So it didn't necessarily have to be violence, but certainly some sort of aggressive act towards us on the basis of us being gay. That hasn't happened at all in the ten years, no, twelve years that we've lived here. Admittedly, part of that time there was lots of people living here, so it was probably less clear that we were a gay couple for a, the first couple of years. Yeah, perhaps. Probably, like, once the boys came, it was probably more obvious mm. to people um, who would see us in the street. Yeah. Um, not, like, some people still made mistakes about what was going on. Yeah, but it was never active homophobia or bullying or aggression. No, no, nothing like that. Yeah. It was just casual confusion. But I think, like, early on when six of us lived here, including two women, people probably weren't going, oh, that's where the gays live. Yeah. Yeah. Other sources of media, I think, that made me frightened for my safety was also Brokeback Mountain. Mm. So, spoiler alert, for those who haven't watched it, in the, like, 
10 years that it's been out. Um, Probably a lot longer than that by now. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the characters is brutally murdered mm. uh, in, in a homophobic attack. And oddly, uh, I, this is a bit random, in Doom Patrol... So there's a TV show called Doom Patrol, which I won't go into because it's really not relevant to this discussion, but there's a, um, a, a gay character who grew up in the 1950s, and he talks about um, someone being beaten up and hogtied outside of their town for being gay. Hmm. And that frightened me too. Even though, again, this, is, this was in the 1950s, the fact that it existed at all made me really grateful for the world we live in now. But it doesn't necessarily mean that gay violence isn't happening either. We're just lucky enough to be in a pocket where it doesn't get to that point, you know? Yeah, and the thing is, in Australia, there was, I guess, violence against gay people to the point of, I think, murder sometimes that was not properly investigated by the police even in sort of the mid to late 90s. Um, So when I was doing some research a couple of years ago when I was writing a book that was partially set in 97, I was kind of shocked by the fact that it was still occurring at that point where I was in year seven. Mm. Like, you know, we're talking about, you know, me thinking, oh, it would have been nice if I could have come out in 99. And in 97, people were still being killed and the police were turning a blind eye. Mm. Uh, So it's not that long ago. Yeah. Unlike, you know, the 1970s and stuff, and I think Broke... I don't know when Broke That Mountain was meant to have been set. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, like, it, there have been these things within my lifetime. I just, I guess, was young enough not to be aware of it. Yeah. So, the big question here is how much do we need to be aware of history and how much should we be teaching the future generations about history. So that makes me think of two particular things. So the first is a Will and Grace episode. So in, in the revival, there was an episode where Will uh, goes out with a younger man. And the younger man is completely ignorant of Stonewall, which I'll be honest, I only started reading about after that particular episode, and about the the events and the 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 fight that happened in order to give gay people the right to not be abused and not be attacked, right? And the joke there was that, you know, Will prioritised educating the younger man versus, you know, having an intimate moment with him. The second thing is that is that classic quote. Now, I'm going to get this wrong because I always get quotes wrong. It's the thing about history repeating itself. If we... Fail to understand history. We're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And that's what scares me. Because so many things that occur in a broader societal kind of view are history repeating. Prejudice and violence and uh, wars and all these other kind of atrocities that we just kind of... We go, God, these things are are so new, but they're not. Like war and genocide and and racism and religious persecution. These aren't new things. But we just keep doing them for some reason. And I worry on our level that that's what could happen to us. That somehow, someway, by taking for granted the history, by taking for granted the amount of fight that that occurred for the people who came before us, that if we forget that, we become complacent. And all of a sudden, we end up back to where we were before. Yes. Um, And, like, this is not my area of expertise, but my understanding is that... Uh, the treatment of black people actually kind of did do that. Mm. Like, it, there was kind of a point 
like after the Civil War, where things got probably better for black people than they are currently. And then things slid back again, which is unfortunate. Mm. So I don't know if I actually think things will slide back for gay people. I think with me, I kind of don't want to forget to help the next group. Or also, I don't want to forget that there are places in the world which are, you know, still at the point of, you know, Australia in the 90s or even earlier. Mm. Like, there are countries where people are being, you know, killed or raped or imprisoned for their sexuality. Mm. Uh, So just because it's not happening to us doesn't mean there aren't other countries in the world where it's still happening and that I guess, like, everyone, no matter, like, it's not like the straight people should be ignoring it. Everyone should be trying to stop it from happening. But it's important for us to not go, okay, things are reasonably good for us. We have Love, Simon. So we won't help the trans community or the black community or the black trans community. Or we won't help the gay community in another country where things are not as good, like Russia. So I think it, in a way it's important to remember that that there was this history of this happening here and it, things could get better and that we can help other people, whether they're a different part of the rainbow or whether they're the same part of the rainbow but in a different culture we can help them get a better life Mm. i also want to note that in 2018 our prime minister said that he would like stop it being possible for religious schools to expel kids because they were gay um and that still hasn't happened Mm. so in 2018 the general public became aware that it was possible and were horrified um and our prime minister scott morrison promised to fix it and he hasn't. And like I was reading an article recently that said, basically, by the time any like any of this managed to get through, it'll be like 2024. And any kid who was in year seven when the promise was made will basically be year 12. Mm. And I guess, you know, talking about history, the marriage equality debate also was a bit of a stain on our history. Not the fact... Obviously, the fact that it passed is wonderful, but the period leading up to it was pretty horrific for a lot of uh, LGBTQI people as well. Yes, and there's a lot of people, including our previous Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, who will say, all that matters was that it passed. But that's not true. The fact that so much damage was done to the mental health of gay people in that time, and it's not damage that just suddenly goes away. Like, I remember when the marriage equality debate was happening, Hannah Gadsby, who is quite famous like, even more famous probably now than she was then, talked about the fact that when she was a teenager, Tasmania was having a debate about whether to stop treating being gay as a crime. And she was saying, and this was... I think this was around 97 because it came up in my research as well. She basically said that it has affected her entire life. So we're we're talking... So 97, so we're talking 20 three years at this point Mm. like quarter of a decade um and there's still people who grew up during that debate who are saying they have trauma about it so we're talking about 2017 we had this other terrible debate 
if you're privileged enough for it to not have been personal for you, you can go, oh, well, you know, it all was just fine. But there's still going to be a lot of trauma around what happened in 2017 for probably, you know, at least a quarter of a century. Mm. Um, like, it's something that it will always stay with It didn't affect you as much as it did me, but it's something that will probably stay with me forever. Mm. Um, and, I, and leading up to the postal vote, I repeatedly put out posts basically saying I would prefer to wait than have the damage done to gay youth. I prefer to wait to have this done properly than basically traumatise people to get this end. Like, it wasn't fair that people had to be traumatised to get that end, but it was basically, yeah, it was worse than not even doing it, in my opinion. So how do we learn from this? How do we try to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself? Because I I agree that the marriage equality open debate and the plebiscite was ridiculous and harmful. Uh, but the problem was is that it was the compromise. It was it was, and you're as you said, you know, you'd rather have done nothing. But not everyone would necessarily agree that they wanted to wait any longer. We, you know, the community was getting impatient. So, what do we learn from this? What do we do differently next time? Next time, there's a postal vote. Well, the next time there has to be a societal shift. I mean, this is the this is the thing, right? If we look at the biggest movements and changes in society, if we're talking about the Me Too movement, if we're talking about Black Lives Matter, they don't come subtly. We keep trying subtle, and subtle doesn't work. It seems like trauma is the only way to put a spotlight on it and actually make a difference, which is which sucks. Like, I really wish it didn't have to come to that. But it seems to me like it's the most effective way of actually getting things moving forward. See, I wouldn't say that society has learned anything from the postal vote. Like, I, I, the way people are talking um, who weren't in the Rainbow community, including Malcolm Turnbull, when I heard an interview with him, I think, last year, was that he feels like it was a fine thing to do. Like, there isn't any discussion... Of, like, there was discussion leading up to it that it shouldn't be done by certain people. But then they were kind of dismissed as lefty latte drinkers or something and as a society we didn't learn anything from that i think when we have like these big public apologies or royal commissions we do learn things admittedly recently there was a new a new indigenous member of the senate who came into the senate for her first thing with a stick with a black mark on it for every person who died in custody since the royal commission into deaths in custody to show the fact that it hasn't there hasn't been improvement in that area. Mm. So it's not every area that improves with royal commissions and public apologies. Mm. But at least those, it's more of an acknowledgement that something has been done wrong. Where And there has been a few times where, like, I think there was people's, cr- like, criminal records for being gay were, like... Expunged. Expunged. After they were dead. Which is something, I guess. It's some sort of form of public apology for what happened. But I'm not sure it really does anything for the wider society. I think the main thing for the wider society is to not let backsliding happen. Um, So, 
at the moment, America is a mess. I think a lot of people will agree. And people have probably learned the term Proud Boys in the last couple of weeks if they've been listening to coverage of America. Uh, because that's the group that Donald Trump was asked to condemn and he didn't during the first presidential debate. And basically, part of the Proud Boys doctrine is to basically kill people for having mixed-race marriages. Mm. Like, if they if they had complete power and no fear of authority, they would go back to the point where people were being killed for having mixed-race, you know, marriages and calling them race traitors mm. for mixing the races. Which is something that, as society, I think we have left in the past the thought that mixed-race couples shouldn't exist. But there are obviously fringe radical groups who want to take us all the way back to that sort of thing. So I think as a society we need to be vigilant, I guess, to not repeat history, as you say, not to backslide. Because apparently, sadly, there are people out there who want to bring up things that society has resolved, like interracial marriage. Yeah, it it makes me think of, because my brain is only full of TV knowledge, it makes me think of that Good Place joke where um, Michael, the angel, well, the demon, pretending to be an angel, is listing off all the bad things that humanity has done, and he goes, um, Nazis, again, somehow, which is, which just exactly summarised how I felt about this white supremacy movement of thinking, I thought we'd gotten past this. Like, I thought we'd seen the horrors of white supremacy and learned from it, but apparently we have not. And I think that's me being a pessimist. That's where there's always going to be a part of me that wonders, what is going to be the tipping point? Are we always going to be at a, uh, at a a in a fragile state where we could backslide at any point? And what will it take? And how do we avoid that? And how do we prevent that? Because right now, I feel comfortable in the people that who that surround me because they are good, kind people who look at me as a person, and that's and like as a complete person, not as a, a some of my individual parts. But you know, could something happen that will take us back to where we were before? Because no one saw Nazis coming back again. Well, maybe someone did, but they weren't taken seriously. But here we are. So yeah, and a few years ago, if someone had said, there's a group of people who want to go around getting rid of mixed-race couples, I would probably not have taken them seriously. Yeah. But yeah, America has got to the point where you kind of have to take that seriously. And my hope is that Australia would never get to that point. Yeah, I certainly hope so too. Well, that is the end of the episode. To end on a bit of a down note... Um, I think the important message... Change it up, no. We don't live in America. Yeah. (laughs) If you live in America, we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it comes down to uh, a little bit of hope, but a lot of hard work. Yes, we've come a long way, and it's nice to acknowledge that. But we can't just rest on our laurels, I think is the term. Yeah. We have to to honour the people that came before us and honour their work... By continuing the fight. And yeah. fighting is exhausting. Don't and protecting their legacy. Yeah. Protecting, and and being, being, both being aware and spreading the word of what had to happen to get us here and how easily we could go back. Thanks for listening. Be sure to find us on uh, Facebook at, and Instagram at The Atypical Rainbow. Leave us a comment. Send us a message. Uh, and make sure you subscribe wherever you get good podcasts. Thanks very much. And we'll talk to you next time.